Hello there, everybody. This is Father Tom Provenzano, and I'm welcoming you to another edition of the Axe Podcast. And actually, this is the beginning of a new season, of our third season. And I know that it's been a while uh, since we've uh, been able to get together and uh, share with each other like this, but uh, hopefully uh, I think we'll be able to maybe uh, do these encounters a little more often. Um, I've been kind of uh, on the move, you might say, uh, uh, switching communities and switching mission. I'm back in the um, parish life now. I'm here in uh, beautiful uh, downtown Port Chester, New York, and I'm, I'm working at a, uh, a local parish here, uh, St. John Bosco Parish, administered by the Salesians. And uh, yes, now getting uh, back in to the groove, you might say. And uh, I have a whole notebook full of notes on different topics and things I'd like to share with you and do with you, none of them that you will hear in this particular episode. (laughs) This uh, particular episode is going to be dedicated actually to a talk that I gave on uh, Friday, November 12th. It's a talk that I gave to a group of our uh, seminarians uh, a group of our uh, men in formation, and again, we'll talk maybe a little bit about what's the difference between the seminary and, and formation, because really formation is the the more correct term to use for the uh, for the young men preparing for the Salesian life. Uh, but what happens is every month, uh, Salesians, whether it's a house of formation or whether it's a regular apostolic uh, community, like a parish community or a school community, is called to to kind of go away, kind of separate itself for a few hours, and do like a retreat day. We call them days of recollection. Uh, back in the in the old days, uh, they used to be called exercises for a happy death, an exercise for a happy death, where you were uh, called to reflect on your mortality and on the fact that our life one day would end, and what exactly is our relationship with the Lord at this particular moment. Today, we don't really call them that uh, anymore. They're either called monthly days of recollection or quarterly days. A monthly day is usually a few hours, and a, a quarterly day, which, as you would guess, happens about every three months, uh, you would take a, a longer time, uh, usually a whole day from morning into, into dinner time. Uh, of, again, going away, separating yourself for a little bit. And, you know, while not maybe reflecting on your own death, uh, reflecting nonetheless on your life with the Lord and on your relationship with Him, an opportunity to maybe hear a conference or maybe have a, some type of a community sharing uh, in a more intense way, and uh, to, uh, you know, again, share a time of, of prayer and quiet reflection, and and the quarterly days often have uh, guests, speakers, and I was asked, and I'm very humbled, I was asked to go to our, our, to give the quarterly day for our house of formation. Uh, So just to kind of talk about, you know, when, what is a house of formation, what do I mean by that, that term? You know, when, when most lay people uh, talk about a, a young man preparing for the priesthood or uh, preparing, f- you know, for entrance into a religious community, they'll say that, you know, you know, Johnny's gone to the seminary. And I mean, nothing that wrong with that, but the reality is, is that the, the seminary is actually just one part 
of what the formation process is about. Uh, what we usually talk about, whether we're diocesans or religious, is we talk about formation. Uh, you know, seminary kind of focuses more on the intellectual formation of the individual. Whereas I think in both diocesan, but also I think especially in, in religious life, the formation is so much more than just the intellectual. It's also the spiritual, it's the, uh, uh, the development of, a, of, a, of, the, of the prayer life in the individual, their ability to participate in community life and to adjust to the needs of, of community life, and also to really uh, immer- be immersed in the charism or spirit, particular spirit, of their religious community so that they really can live fully uh, the life that they've been called to. And uh, our house of formation here in uh, the Eastern Province is in Orange, New Jersey. And there's a wide swath, you know, there's many different levels of formation that the men pass through, beginning with candidates. And a a candidate is uh, someone who is, you know, coming and seeing. He's living uh, the Salesian life uh, to an extent, at least the the schedule, more or less, of the of uh, the, the the Salesian community, getting a flavor of the the apostolic activity, getting a, a kind of a flavor of of what our community life is like and our spirit is like, and there's also usually studies involved that that they've got to. For instance, study you know in their undergraduate work. That's usually when they would begin that undergraduate work, and uh, then after usually a year, more or less, of being a candidate, they would go on to become what's called a pre-novice, where uh, it would become a little more intensive uh, in terms of Salesian studies, of studying about the life of Saint John Bosco, for instance, and you know immersing themselves a little more deeply. Uh, into, again, the community life and practice, as well as, again, getting some apostolic experience of working with young people, which is our, our, our main work. Now, in, in both now, candidacy could be, could be one or two years. Pre-novitiates generally one year. And again, in, in neither one of those years or, or those levels, uh, vows are not involved. Okay, in the sense of that they do not, they are not members of the Salesian community formally. They have not taken uh, vows. Uh, they are really discerning. Is this the you know where the Lord is calling me and what I want to do? And if at the end of the the pre novitiate year, uh, if you know they have that desire in their heart and the the formation staff believes that they're ready, they will go on to the level called novitiate. And novitiate is, a, again, a particular intense year of studying the constitutions of the Salesians. It's a very much a year away and apart. And now, my novitiate, we did have some apostolic uh, activity just to kind of, you know, keep us from going too crazy. Uh, but generally, but really the focus is more on that particular spiritual formation of learning the constitutions, which is the, you know, the particular rule book, how we live out the gospel, okay, and preparing ourselves to 
take vows. And at the end of that year, we would then take vows, make the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But uh, what we would call temporary vows. Okay, so generally the way it works is you would, the vows would expire after a year. And so each year you have to go back and renew. And so the normal way, again, there's going to be exceptions and there's going to be, you know, maybe people take a little longer. But generally the way it works is is the first three years you're renewing each year. And then the second three years you are taking vows for three years until your perpetual profession. Okay. When you would make the, those take those vows for life and become a lifelong member of the congregation. After you take vows as a as a novice, you go on to what's called post novitiate, and that's where you would either finish up your uh, bachelor's uh, degree, or maybe pursue some other studies. Now, Salesians, we have priests and we have brothers in our in our community, so you, we would have a situation where the the priest would be finishing up uh, his uh, philosophy study, which is a prerequisite to go on to theology. Uh, if he's a, he's a brother, if he's you know preparing for the Salesian Brotherhood, he, he might study some other field or discipline, be, be it education or social work or counseling psychology or, or something like that. That would then help prepare them, again, to participate in the mission in their, in their own way. Uh, after those two years of post-novitiate, we go out for two years of full-time work in an apostolate, usually it's in a school, but it could be in a parish, it could be in a, in a boys and girls club, but it's two years of really living fully the Salesian apostolic life and community life. Not in a, in a house of formation, but the apostolic house, the, the active community becomes the house of formation for us. And we are then formed by and for the mission. At the end of those two years, then uh, the brother would go on for particular, again, uh, usually some type of uh, postgraduate work in some field. Uh, the uh, priest candidates would go on to then what we would normally think of as the seminary. Four years of theology study in preparation for ordination to the Salesian priesthood. And then, you know, during those years, they would make perpetual vows, then they would be ordained deacons, then they would be ordained priests, and then sent out into the Salesian world in order to serve. So the the young men that I was talking to, along with some of the not-so-young men who were on staff, Really, were ran a gamut. So you would we had some candidates. We had some what we call post novices there. Uh, the pre novices live in another in another house right now. They don't live in the in the actual house of formation, but are at one of our uh, Salesian uh, uh, school communities, actually uh, living and and studying with their with their formators. And then we also have a few theologians, guys that are uh, studying at uh, the Michael Conception Seminary in um, uh, New Jersey, in, uh, on the Seton Hall campus in, uh, in South Orange, New Jersey. So it's a pretty wide swath that I'm talking to. Now, I was, I was, the topic 
was our, uh, or is our religious chastity. How do we live the vow of chastity? And uh, as I will say in my introduction, I was a bit taken aback, a bit humbled actually, by being asked to give that particular talk. Because it is a, you know, I, I think of a, a talk that the men receive, it's, it's a very important one. And uh, you don't want to get it wrong. You, and you don't want to be misunderstood. At least I don't, didn't want to be in anything that, that we said. So that's basically what I'm going to be presenting uh, to you. Now, I was thinking about going in there and trying to edit it because, you know, I have a, a habit, uh, an annoying habit of, of laughing at my own jokes. That's one thing. Uh, I also have the annoying uh, habit of calling people out in the, um, in the audience because we all know each other. You know, I, I, the men in formation I was getting to know, some of them I was meeting for the first time. Most of them I had I knew already, but I don't know them that well. But in terms of the uh, the the men on staff, the perpetually professed and the ordained who are on staff there, these are men that I've known for decades. So I, I do have a tendency of kind of calling them out and you know cracking wise and you know you know interjecting humor here and there, uh, as well as again having the kind of the annoying habit of of laughing at my own jokes. But uh, you know what are you gonna do? But I decided, no, I'm just going to uh, keep it raw, <laughs> keep it um, you know, as is, uh, uncut and uh, unfiltered. Uh, but I do want to come back after it's over and clarify a couple things. Because like, I did, on the listen back, I, I noticed a, on, on the one hand, a really grave omission that I really am kind of embarrassed that I, I left out. And that has to do with the importance of prayer and really the centrality of prayer. I think I was so kind of focused on the mission and that we're, you know, we're chased for the kingdom of God and for our work in the kingdom of God that I really left out, I mean, what is so fundamental, uh, which is our life of prayer and how prayer is really so important and essential. And, And the other thing which I think was a less, uh, you know, I think less grave an omission, but still uh, something that I really want to make sure I'm clear on. Uh, I I talk about uh, the temptations that we have, the fact that we are going to face uh, moments of trial and that we are risking uh, when we, when we, uh, you know, you know, when we go out into, into the work and we begin really working with people and dealing with people, we do run the risk of infatuation, of becoming infatuated or having people infatuated with us. Um, again, I'm, I'm going to come back later. I really want to hit that again. Uh, I, I, it's a risk, but the idea here is that there are different kinds of risks, <laughs> and I think we need to be very conscious of. When I'm, when I'm saying that we... we we take we make we take risks. We shouldn't take unreasonable risks. Okay, there are reasonable risks and unreasonable risks, and uh, we don't do ourselves any favors when we just rush blindly and uh, brazenly uh, and impetuously uh, into places that uh, even angels would dare not to tread. But maybe I'll, I'll come back later at the end of the talk, and you know maybe put a little more flesh on both those points, the centrality of prayer 
in this project of life that involves our our chase celibacy, and uh, also again, what what is a you know what is a proper risk, what is a reasonable risk, and what is really uh, something that would be a foolish risk, and really one that that would endanger our our life of chastity. So uh, enjoy. And uh, I will, uh, we will take up again on the other side. Okay. First off, uh, thank you for the, for the, well, the kind introduction, but also uh, thank you for the invitation, Father John and Father Tom. Uh, you know, this is a, a talk. I was a little taken aback when I opened up the email and uh, saw that the topic was going to be concerning our chastity. Because uh, you know, this is normally a talk that's given, especially, let's say, in a quarterly day situation by someone who, uh, you know, is either a certified spiritual director or someone who has some therapeutic uh, background, either as a psychologist or in some type of, of therapy or retreat setting. Uh, and I have none of that. <laughs> I have none of that. I come to you... As a brother, I come to you uh, as a sinner, and I come to you as someone who speaks on these things with great humility, uh, because uh, these are uh, delicate topics and uh, ones that Father Miguel knows all, all so well about. <laughs> anyway, um, so just to, to dive in, I, was, I had the great benefit of being at the Salesian High uh, President's Dinner a couple of nights ago, and I ran into a couple of you, and I did ask, what did you think maybe I should talk about? And I was, you know, in terms of chastity, and I was told that maybe I should just give a definition of what chastity is. That made me kind of wonder, oh, how basic do we have to get on this, okay? How, how you know, I know that we're dealing with a, with a large swath here, men that are just entering religious life, beginning their journey, those who have taken uh, vows, and those that are on the doorstep of well, someone who's a deacon, uh, but those or two that are deacons. You're an acolyte. Well, he's an altar boy. That's okay. But those who have, that, are on, that are on many different, uh, and obviously the priests that are on staff here, and perpetually professed that are on staff here. So, I mean, the, the, it's, it's a wide swath. Um, and really today, I, the first part will be kind of defining some terms, because when I reflected on it a little bit, maybe it's not a bad idea. Maybe it's to be reminded, or maybe it's things that we are hearing for the first time, or maybe hearing in a different way. So the first part of the talk will be kind of defining a couple of terms. The second part will really have to do with a reflection on the encounter of Jesus and the rich young man. And then the last part really just has to do with, like I said, personal reflections. Reflections on my own personal experience living uh, the Salesian life and over the last 28 years with vows, uh, but also uh, walking along this road for over 30 in one way or another. So, yeah, defining terms uh, mm. as Dr. Peter Kreeft would say one of the most boring part of any talk is the defining of terms, but sometimes it's necessary. But I'm going to focus in on three terms that we hear a lot, 
but are often used interchangeably that really are not interchangeable. They really do have three distinct meanings. And even though in common language and kind of common conversation, we take chastity, celibacy, and continence and kind of conflate them, uh, canon law doesn't. Canon law keeps these things actually separate and distinct when it's talking about our, our life of, of chaste celibacy. Okay? And maybe it's not a bad thing just to keep, that, keep these things in mind. So chastity has to do with fidelity. Fidelity to the station in life that you have been called to. Okay? A married person is called to be chaste, but chaste in a different way than a religious is. Okay? Chastity for a married person means obviously exclusivity in their relationship, their married relationship. Traditionally, it meant uh, as well not using artificial forms of contraception. And if you look at the latest PMI, premarital inventory used by the Archdiocese of New York, they also include the use of pornography as something that would break marital fidelity and marital chastity, okay? So yes, a married couple is called to live chaste according to their way of life. For us as religious, and I don't know if this is, this is a term that was used when I was in formation, I don't know if they still use it, but they used to talk about no pregenital or genital sexual expression, okay? So any type of pregenital or genital sexual expression either by yourself or with somebody else, is out, okay? Uh, obviously, we would put pornography in that category as well as something that would break our, 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 our vows of chastity. I would even say, and again, this is not something original to me, any relationship that somehow is a hindrance or a block to our living of religious life, even if it is not a romantic relationship, can in a way be said to be a breaking of the vow of chastity. Now, I have friends outside the community. I have friends who are women outside the community. All right? I'm not suggesting that we need to cut out friendships from you know, people that we've known in the past or people we might be encountering in the future. But what I am saying is that we do need to be very conscious of the boundaries. And again, the boundaries are not always sexual. The boundaries just could be in terms of our time and how much time we were dedicating to these relationships. And again, I think it's very important that we always place ourselves in the context of chastity in the broad sense. As I said, married people are called to live chastity. After a couple get married, their broader friendships change. The nature of those friendships change. Okay, the, it's, it's a cliche, but it's true. The husband just can't go out with the boys the way he used to. And the same way, a woman does not have the same freedom to just go out on a whim. They're accountable to one another, first and foremost, just as we are accountable to one another in community. So obviously, I'm speaking of obviously romantic relationships would be out, but, but we even need to be very conscious of those everyday relationships. And I would even include 
the relationships we have with our families. Okay. Again, using marriage as an analogy and 20 years of sitting in a confessional, I can tell you that among the things that causes stress in a marriage is, let's say, an in-law, and again, it's a, it's a stereotype, and it's, but it's not always the mother-in-law. <laughs> sometimes it's the father-in-law, or sometimes it's a sister-in-law, or a brother, or a sister, that is somehow challenging the loyalty that the person has, and is putting a stress on the, the, the mission, really, and I use that word quite purposely, mission, that a married couple has to form a new family, a unique family, one that certainly has reference and is connected to the family that goes before, but one that in its own way is new. And really, it's the same way for us. This is our family. This is our family. This is our new family. It doesn't mean that we don't have our family that we came from or that we cut them off. Certainly not. But it means we have to balance those relationships out. And yes, it's going to be a sacrifice for them as well as for us. You know, I grew up in the New York area and I've spent most of my Salesian life outside the New York area. And for me, all right, I had my eyes were open when I entered and that, it, it was fine. But I know that that has been a stress sometimes for my family. All right, we just have to keep these things in mind. That while we don't abandon our family, just like we don't abandon our friends, we are in a new family now. We are creating a new reality together through the vows that we've taken and the common mission that we're dedicated to. Okay. So all these things kind of work together to, and I'm sure there's probably more that can be, can be said. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing something, but that's the crux, I would say, of our, of our chastity, okay. is that we are coming together to form a new identity, an identity which is part of our baptismal call, but that brings us into community and brings us to really enter into kind of a marriage, nuptial relationship, okay, with, with one another, with our community, for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And no, I didn't think of all these things. This is John Paul II. All right, this is John Paul II. I am not that smart, okay? The other term is celibacy, okay? The classic definition of celibacy was a person who didn't get married, it didn't mean a person who didn't have sexual relations. It strictly meant a person who didn't get married. It was not commenting on what they were doing on their spare time, okay, or whether they were dating or whether they were pursuing a, a spouse or not, okay. It strictly had to do with the person wasn't married, okay. Continence, or I believe as canon law puts it, perfect continence, or perpetual continence. That means not engaging in sexual relations. Okay. So as religious, we are called to perpetual continence or perfect continence as celibates who do not get married. And our fidelity to that is our chastity that we live out. Okay.
Okay. Is that clear as mud or is that, you know, sort of there, not, not sort of there. Okay. So that's, those are the basic, um, again, those are the basic definition of terms. And, and now, uh, if I could switch gears, I love this technology. Technology is so wonderful. And let me go to Matthew 19. If you have your Bibles, you can follow me along. <laughs> but we're all good Catholics here, so we don't have Bibles. Right? <laughs> so it's Matthew uh, chapter 19, 16. Now, someone approached him and said, Teacher, what good must I do to gain eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about the good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He asked him, Which ones? Jesus replied, You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All of these I have observed. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this statement, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. So this is a reading that is normally associated with the vow of poverty, all right? But I've always been drawn to it, even in terms of the context of celibacy or chastity, because we can't see the vows as being isolated from one another. The vows are interrelated. We are chased for the kingdom of God. We're not chased or we're not continent for its own sake. Okay, We don't abstain from sexual relations and from romantic relationships because they are evil or bad. No, we're doing it because we have heard the call of the Lord, we believe in the gospel, and we believe that, that this really is what the Lord is calling us to. And so we embrace it and we follow it. Okay. But the three things, poverty, chastity, and obedience, go together. Okay. Usually we, we kind of, I think we, we sell the, the, the rich young man short a little bit. Because we say he's going away sad because he had many possessions. Okay, he did. But think of what those possessions meant to him. Those possessions gave him status in the community. They gave him status politically, maybe influence politically. They gave him status and influence within the context of his synagogue, probably. We're not, I mean, we're not sure. We're not given great details, but I don't think it's a great leap of imagination. His riches also gave him the leisure time to actually be able to go off and ponder these deep thoughts, okay? His property, his money also made him a pretty good catch. 
And you better believe they were the matchmakers working overtime with the families trying to match this guy up. Okay. And certainly it would have been an entryway into marriage for him. You know, we, we take marriage for granted that it's so two people meet each other and they fall in love and then they book the hall for the, retru- for the reception and then they go to the church to try to get the church, you know. <laughs> and God forbid, you know, the church isn't available. Okay. We'll just go to the next church to, <laughs> till they find one that, uh, that takes them, all right? No, ba- back in this day, uh, high-status men had a very clear advantage in terms of getting married and whether they would even marry at all. And so this whole man's identity of who he was was caught up in his riches, The Lord wasn't just asking him to give up material wealth. It's not hard to imagine that this guy probably gave tithes. Who knows? Maybe he was extremely generous with his money and in terms of how he gave it to the poor. Okay. But Jesus is not just asking that he tithe and not just asking that maybe he give a little extra in the Cardinal's appeal this this year. But he's saying, give it all away. Give all the possibilities away. Give your future as maybe you envision it away and follow me. And that includes marriage. Okay. For the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God. Gentlemen, don't kid yourselves. You are all one way or another, high-status men in our society. By By the time this is all over, all of you will have bachelor's degrees. Probably all of you will have some type of graduate degree under your belt. And who knows, maybe there's a genius somewhere lurking who will go out and get the PhD name after their, their SDB, all right? Okay, highly educated. You are good listeners, probably. You are compassionate. You are passionate. I would hope that you're passionate (laughs) in terms of your zeal of following the Lord and in your desire to help proclaim the kingdom and to help form that kingdom with God's grace here on earth. You know, you're a pretty good catch, whether you realize it or not. And you are going to attract people. And don't be shocked if you might attract some people romantically to you. It happens, all right? It happens. Be aware of it. It happens. Not the end of the world, certainly. (laughs) But this is where you need to know yourself and know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Okay, That you're doing this for the kingdom of God. And that, yes, you are throwing your lot in with Christ. You're not just giving up... You're not just giving up sex. Okay? 
You're not even just giving up family and relationship. Okay. You're giving it all away. (laughs) And saying, I am following the Lord. Okay. Today and every day. I am doing away with those possibilities. And I'm taking myself off of the market. (laughs) While at the same time, you know, you're in the world, but not of the world. Okay, you're not taking yourself out of the world, though. We are not called to live as monks. And maybe I'll get to that in my kind of personal reflections on this. But you're giving it all away. You are the rich young men, whether you you realize it or not. Okay. And yes, there's boundaries that need to be managed. There's friendships that need to be managed. All those things are are real. But, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Okay. Don't be afraid. Don't go away sad. (laughs) Don't go away sad. Okay. Don't go away unless that guy over there (laughs) tells you to. (laughs) And yes, I'm pointing at Father John. All right. I remember very, I had a, I mean, I began my life. Uh, as actually not as a Salesian um, candidate, but as a uh, seminarian for the Archdiocese of New York uh, in the in the pre theology program 150 years ago, a program that doesn't exist anymore actually, and I had a very good spiritual director, and you know we talked a lot of things out, and but basically his bottom line to me. I guess this will be the segue into more of the personal reflections. His thing to me was that unless Jesus comes down and stands next to your bed <laughs> and tells you <laughs> to leave, don't leave. <laughs> don't leave. <laughs> okay. Now, obviously, that's an exaggeration. But he has a point. You know, what, what has kept me, uh, what's kept me a Salesian? What's kept me a priest and a Salesian? It's that every morning I look in the mirror and I have to look at myself. And when I look at myself, I could never say, God's not calling me to this. Okay. If you are struggling because you you hate the director's guts, not that anyone would, I mean, Father John is, he's a cream puff. Who would, who would... uh, <laughs> He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me later. That's all right. Right? If you're basing your vocation on that, maybe you're basing your vocation on the wrong thing. All right. If you're not getting along with the provincial and you're struggling with should I stay a Salesian or not based on that, maybe you're basing your vocation on the wrong thing. Okay. Directors come and go, provincials come and go. We, we follow, we live that obedience the best that we can, all right? But they come and they go. Now, if we're not getting along with any of our directors ever, maybe that's a sign, okay? Maybe that's a sign, okay? All right, maybe that's a sign, okay? If we're just not, you know, we're going to have dry periods praying the office. I know Salesians have a tough time praying the office, Sometimes, because it can seem very dry and rote and, and what have you, okay? You're going to have your ups and downs with that. That's fine. 
But if you really can't live the schedule, if you really can't live the schedule, it's unbearable for you. And, you know, you're just constantly in bed when everyone else is singing, God, come to my assistance. Then maybe that's a, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a sign. All right, maybe it's a sign. Okay. And, you know, if you're really not on fire, I, I don't want to speak, you know, the brothers that are here would be able to speak to it better than my than myself. Because I, I am a priest and I look at it from the standpoint of the sacramental ministry. So I don't know what the, what the analogy for the brother would be. But I know for me, I was always on fire with the Eucharist and wanting to, to offer Mass. And, and, to, and to administer the sacraments. And again, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and say, no, I'm not really called to that. Okay. No, no, I couldn't do that in all honesty. And so, yeah, here I am. <laughs> here I am. Just uh, a few kind of loose notes or, you know, a few... Um, scattered thoughts. You know, as I said, we need to judge our relationships. We need to manage our relationships. Uh, I had a, I remember once we did have, this is a number of years ago, a, a priest from St. Luke's, I think it was, came and gave retreats uh, years ago on chastity. And I ended up in a small group with Father Capaletti, who probably in all my time as a Salesian, I probably said two words to the whole time. And always seemed like this very intimidating figure. Father Capaletti was, for years and years, the uh, procreator, procreator of the uh, Salesian mission, the mission procure. And a very dignified man and a very, you know, a man very much in self-possession. And, but I, he talked very openly, and he talked, I, I was really very refreshing to hear the things that he talked about. But in terms of, you know, when he entered, now he was a part of a group that entered religious life when they were teenagers, okay? When they were 13 or 14 years old in the 1930s, okay? You didn't speak to women, all right, outside the confessional or outside some very strictly controlled, quote unquote, business relationship. The idea of a young woman coming up and giving you a hug, you know, it wasn't happening. All right, it wasn't happening. And in fact, the priest or the religious himself would be mortified if something like that happened. But he talked about the fact that it was an adjustment, that they had to make that over time, yes, things did become more informal. And it wasn't even that the priest was being standoffish. The woman knew not to, you know, enter into the demilitarized zone, you know, uh, not, to, not to, to, you know, break through. the. There was like a, you know, one of those Star Wars uh, barrier force fields there, right? Okay, but that over time that that changed, and it was an adjustment that had to be made. And so, yes, you're going to be working with women. 
don't think you're going to have women, if you're in a high school, they will be your colleagues on the faculty, and they might even have positions of authority above you in terms of the administration. If you are working in a parish, if you are a, you're going to have women all over the place, all right, from your secretary to probably the heads of the different groups in the parish. If, if you want to get a loan from the archdiocese, you're not going to be dealing with the bishop. You're going to be dealing, in Chicago anyway, with your devo, with your director of vicariate operations, a woman. <laughs> All right? And if you really want to go above her, you have to speak to the chief financial officer, a woman. <laughs> I was talking with the local vicar there in Chicago about the possibility of getting a loan to maybe do some renovations on the church. And he started laughing. He's like, oh, father here thinks that he's going to get a loan from Betsy. He thinks Betsy's going to give him a loan. <laughs> he was referring to Betsy Boland. It wasn't he thinks the cardinal's going to give him a, uh, a loan or that I'm going to get. No, it was Betsy's not giving you because <laughs> Betsy's not giving anybody loans right now. All right. My point is, if you can't get along with women, forget about it. You're, you're going to have a very hard life. You're going to have a very hard life. Okay. Uh, the, the days when you can just, yeah, the, the, the days of male chauvinism, not that they ever were proper, but that's over. If your ego, if your ego is too fragile, let alone your chastity is too fragile, <laughs> you're going to have, you're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. Okay. Uh, Yes, is it a risk? Do you run the risk, going, again, going back more specifically to, ch to chastity, of working closely with someone and maybe even kind of forming feelings? Yeah, it's a risk. It is a risk. I'm not going to lie to you about it, okay? But it does not mean you don't have a call to be a Salesian. All it means is that you're a human being with blood going through your veins. And it's for you, again, to continue to grow to monitor yourself, to know yourself, to know who you are and what you're about, and to navigate those waters the best that you can, okay? And I guess maybe I'll finish up here. Never make a dis decision in a crisis. Never make a, a, a vocational decision in a crisis. Again, whether it's going back to the idea that maybe you're not getting along with your superior, or, Maybe you're feeling all this turmoil because maybe you, you do have, you, you are struggling with these feelings you may have for another person, all right? You need to just take a, a step back and monitor yourself, you know. Uh, there are men who leave, and I'm thinking of leaving from formation, and it's probably the right thing. They've discerned properly. And God maybe is calling them to a different way of life. Uh, I, for myself, I have met men who left form. I've been, let's put it this way. I've been with men in formation, uh, 
peers of mine who left, who I agree, probably did the right thing. All right, probably did the right thing. In fact, not only probably, they did do the right thing. There are others who later have admitted to me that, yeah, they made a mistake. (laughs) They let something else influence them in that decision. I don't know personally many priests who have left the priesthood. Or I'm not, I know that, you know, those who kind of came up in the 70s, 60s and 70s, uh, it was like a flood of, of men that, that left. And again, we don't, we don't judge anyone. But I have had different occasions of either uh, the priest himself come to me in a counseling situation or a relative of a priest come to me in a counseling. I'm talking about a child of a, of a former priest who basically is like, what did I do? <laughs> what did I do? I thought marriage was one thing. <laughs> and now I'm married. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my Lord. And I love my kids. Don't get me wrong. And I'm going to make the best of this I can. But holy, holy cow, what did I do? I, I will end with a story on this note. So I was in Mexico. And naturally, as Salesians, you would think that I would have studied Spanish when I first got to Mexico. But no, I went to the Spanish Institute as I was on my way out after I had finished three years in the Theologate. But I had a few weeks to kill, and what the heck. Let's go to Ceramex, which some of you maybe, I don't know if you've ever, you never went to Ceramex. You didn't need to probably, or eh, maybe, maybe. So anyway, I'm in Ceramex, and the idea there is the morning is uh, grammar, and then you have a different, it's, one, it's a one-on-one thing, right? So the morning is grammar, the afternoon is conversational, okay? And because, yeah, I was a little bit more advanced than most students coming in, even the morning really turned into conversational, all right? So La Senora Rosa, La Senora Rosa was a very tall, a uh, really beautiful woman in, you know, approaching middle age. She was married and had several kids. And eventually she, I got to see how outspoken that La Senora Rosa was about many different things and many different. So we had a lot of talks about religion and politics and all sorts of things you're not supposed to discuss in, uh, in common company. But she, one day... Uh, told me the story of her parents and how her father had been a Franciscan and how her father was in formation. This is back probably the the 1940s. Okay, this is around 2001 that this encounter is happening, so it's already 20 years ago from now. So it's probably the late 40s, early 50s, something like that. And he's the bright and shining star of the Franciscans. They've got big plans for him, including sending him to Rome to study. And so I don't know if it was just before his diaconate or just after his diaconate, he went to his superiors and said, look, I, don't send me to Rome. I don't know that I can really, if I'm going to be going on and continuing, I'm really struggling with 
my vocation and whether this is really what the Lord is calling me to. So fine. They told him, don't run away right away. We're going to send you to this little village out in the middle of nowhere. All right. So they sent him to a little village out in the middle of nowhere. I forget where exactly it was, <laughs> but it was a little village. And she describes how he's at mass one day and he sees her mother and her mother looks at him and he wrote a little letter saying, meet me, you know, somewhere. And she goes, no, 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 you are a seminar, you are a Franciscan. I, am, I don't know who you think you are, but that's not happening. And she goes, no, no, he goes, no, 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 but I am not going to be a Franciscan for a while. <laughs> All right. So this stuff, I'll, 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 you know, but she told this story, you know, I think of things in cinematic terms. So I'm seeing the movie, this movie play out in front of me, and he t- and she talked about how his last day in the in the friary and how the the friars all lined up and gave him a big abrazo goodbye and wished him well and that 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 and so I said to her, well, I mean, you know, obviously they've been married all this time; they've been married fifty years, and you know, so sometimes these things really work out. She goes, oh no, my father's a miserable man. <laughs> My father hasn't been happy a day in his life since he, since he left. Oh, no. He should never have left the Franciscans. And I'm just like, I could have fallen over out of my chair. But she was very blunt about it. That, yeah, this was terrible. I mean, she should be thankful she wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her father, you know, <laughs> you know leaving the Franciscans. But that was her, that was the punchline. It wasn't the big Hollywood movie, okay? It was more like a Shakespearean tragedy, maybe, <laughs> than like, you know, uh, you know, Pretty Woman or whatever the movie you want to, you know, a rom-com, you know? So just, guys, some of you, I know you're all at different levels of your commitment right now. And, you know, for those of you who are in perpetual vows, you are deacons, you know, in some ways, discernment on this level really should be over for you, okay? You've put your lot in with Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that it's easy, and it doesn't mean that I'm not suggesting somehow there aren't still going to be bumps along the way and things that need to be worked out, okay? Uh, But for those of you who are at the beginning of this journey or toward the beginning of this journey, just don't let your emotions run away with you. Don't let your emotions run away with you. Work with your formators, dialogue with them, speak with them, okay? And really live the life now, okay? We live it for the kingdom of God. Not just the heavenly reality that is to come, that we are to be a sign of, but the kingdom here and now. And don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to throw your lot in with Jesus. Don't be afraid to throw your lot in with Don Bosco. And just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Thank you for your attention, and God bless you. Okay, there you have it. And um, again, I just really want to try to emphasize, uh, you know, or clean up maybe two uh, defects that definitely are uh, there 
that I could, again, I could just tell from the, the playback. First off, you know, prayer is so essential. We do not live our prayer, our life of chastity without Christ at the center and without developing that deep relationship with the Lord that comes through prayer, that comes through time spent in the chapel or in the silence of our room, but in some place where there are no distractions. The prayer of the rosary is so important. The, the heavenly aid of our, of our Blessed Mother should never be uh, underestimated. Time spent in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I, I definitely, again, for myself personally, I think it, when I look at um, my journey, the times when really I've made the most progress are the times when the Eucharistic Lord has been a part of my spiritual life. You know, it is true that we can, we can pray anywhere and that we should pray everywhere. And that in a certain way, yes, going and praying in our rooms has value, is very important. You know, but our Lord is present in that special and unique way in the Blessed Sacrament. And I know that for myself, being a religious, I have always really now for the last almost 30 years or now actually more than 30 years, have, have been very, very blessed that wherever I have lived, uh, there is a chapel, and in that chapel we have that red lamp burning, and that our Lord is there. Uh, and I can go, and I can sit with him, I can adore his divine presence, and he can strengthen me and help me along on my journey. And obviously, being a priest, being able to celebrate the sacrament uh, in, in, you know, in the way that a priest can, and to receive our Lord, that bread for the journey, is so, so very important. That time spent in adoration, which hopefully should make us even more hungry, and more desirous to receive him in the banquet of love that is spread out for us in the Eucharist is so very important. And it is really something which strengthens me and guides me. You know, when we say that we're, we're chased for the kingdom of God, again, it's, it's, we're, not, we're not chased, we're not celibate, we're not continent because sex is dirty and ugly. Uh, sex is actually quite a beautiful gift that we've been given by God. But it's also, in a sense, given with a purpose. It's not, again, it's not given for its own sake. It's not pleasure for its own sake. It's a, a pleasure that hopefully is meant to unite us and to strengthen the love that a, a married couple has for each other and in a way to intensify the feelings of love that they have uh, for, for one another, and to unite them and to really form that, that one flesh uh, that, that is meant to be such a, uh, is a, is such a strong symbol of their love for one another and their, their life together. 
And for us, we are saying, no, we are putting that aside because we believe that some have been called to renounce marriage in order to promote the kingdom in a particular way. And you can't do that without prayer. You can't do that without the Lord in your life in that way. So, I mean, really, anytime in there I'm talking about giving yourself to the Lord, you know, that's part of what I'm talking about. I'm definitely talking about the life of prayer and really how important that is. The other point I, I kind of want to bring out is, because like, I talk about that we, we risk a lot. You know, we no longer live in a time when the priest is and really can be so aloof. You know, I, I think... You know, a certain distance, um, emotional distance, and uh, physical distance. You know, maybe it's it's maybe it's not such a bad thing to try to maintain. And again, maybe uh, past generations went to an extreme with it. And again, we can kind of debate and talk about that. But but the fact of the matter is, we are vulnerable. You know, the the, the men uh, who enter into formation and who become priests, and I'm sure it's the same with the, the religious sisters who, who, pursue, who pursue their life of chastity. We are vulnerable. We're vulnerable in so, in so many ways. And we are asked to really make ourselves a part of people's lives in very deep and emotional ways. And, you know, we have to be mindful, as I said. We have to be careful. We should not be afraid, and we should not be afraid to risk. But again, there are reasonable risks, and there are unreasonable risks. Okay, and I think one, you know, you, you, we do have to be very careful in terms of understanding those boundaries and keeping those boundaries very strictly, and knowing that there, there is a way that you could, even if, even if a, a relationship doesn't tumble over into something inappropriate physically. There still can be kind of you know an emotional breaking of the vow of chastity, uh, where again the the relationship uh, is just really kind of again it's out of bounds is the best way to put it, and it's uh, keeping a person from really growing in that um, in that broader love that they are called to. We are not as religious to love exclusively. There is no one person in our life here on this earth who we love to the exclusion of others. That's not the way it is with with a married couple. Their love their commitment and their bond to one another is very exclusive. And there is no one else on earth who should share that bond of intimacy, be it emotional or physical. And for us, we have to keep that in mind also, uh, that there are, there are unnecessary risks. There are, there are places we should not go. Uh, there are things that we should not do. Uh, there are... Uh, maybe forms of entertainment and diversion that might be fine for some people, but is not good for us. Okay. All right. Uh, maybe, you know, 
yes, <laughs> nightclubs and uh, dance clubs are out. Sorry, it's just the, the way it is. Those things really need to be, we need to be very mindful and careful of what we do, where we go, and how we conduct ourselves. Okay. And again, there are risks that are worth taking. Uh, there are risks that are just foolish. And, and, we, and we need to just be able to read ourselves and, and read other people. You know, we have to be careful of taking our neediness and uh, projecting it onto other people and to kind of use other people as a way of making up for whatever we feel is lacking and the needs we have in our own lives. And the reality is we are going to be running into a lot of needy people ourselves. Uh, and again, I'm thinking strictly from my standpoint as a, as a priest and as a man, uh, there are many women that you're, we're going to run into. Maybe they're single mothers. Maybe they're, they're women that are in unhappy marriages that, again, look to us as kind of uh, strength and look to us as people with the answers. And again, as I talked about in the, in the, in the talk a little bit with the guys, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we can be good listeners and very compassionate and, you know, come off as uh, people who are, who are very care, caring and empathetic. And I hope we are, uh, but that can be mistaken. That can really be mistaken for, uh, you know, feelings. Feelings that aren't really, either aren't really there, or, you know, maybe they aren't misreading things. Maybe we are uh, allowing ourselves to, you know, get a little too deep into the personal life of, uh, you know, the people that we're working with and understanding that we're not the Savior. There's only one Savior, he's Jesus Christ. We're his servants, okay. and there's only so much that we as individuals can do, and so we need to be very, very careful about, uh, you know, being open on one hand, uh, being caring and listening to people, and but also understanding uh, that the heart has a reason that reason does not know. And that we can quickly find ourselves kind of tumbling into, as one you know, priest I uh, talked to once about these things said, you know, they, they call it falling in love for a reason. When you're falling, you're not in control. <laughs> and it's easy to kind of lose control and, and to lose yourself. But it's really for us as religious and as uh, priests to, to know who we are, as I've said, repeating myself, know what we're about. And to be able to read people and to also be able to read ourselves and, and to be able to handle the situations in, in what are really proper ways and to uh, maintain the boundaries in ways that are, are proper and true and good. Okay, I'm going to leave it right there. And again, I thank you for your time and attention. And we will be back again. Uh, like I said, I, I've been feverishly uh, jotting down notes during meditation time and uh do plan to come back with some uh, reflections, let's say, on more topical issues 
things that are kind of in the news and uh, going on in society and culture. And I hope you will join me for that. So until then, I say God bless you and may God keep you. And uh, maybe we'll just end together. We didn't begin with a prayer, but maybe we'll end with one together. Pray with me. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, help of Christians, pray for us. Okay, God bless all of you, and until next time, be good, be well, and know that the Lord loves you today and every day.